I had this brand new series all ready to go, ready to start this week. We'll get back to that at some point in the future. But uh, I've been off sick this week, kind of. You know, it's hard to take days off, really, when you're going to preach on Sunday. But kind of in the back of my mind, it was going on, I'm going to have to preach on Sunday, but it's okay. I've done the, the work for this new series. It should be okay. And... Uh, so I got towards the end of the week, got to Thursday night at our life group, and then they, they noticed I wasn't very well, and they're kind of caring, nice people in our life group. If you haven't got caring, nice people in your life group, you should come to ours. Um, and they prayed for me, and I had an encounter with God that completely took my breath away. It shocked me. I didn't know what hit me, and I was like that all night, and kind of early the next morning as well, just... And I thought, I know what God's on here. He wants me to talk about the anointing. And uh, I've been very conscious of the fact that uh, this is something that's on God's heart for a while. He's been talking to me about it for a while. It fits very well into this overarching theme of what we're living with at the moment as a church, of equipping the church for service and for life. But I want to talk to you then about the anointing. What is it? It's one of those phrases that's used a lot, especially in charismatic circles. So what is it? What is the anointing? As I've been learning about this, especially as I've been leading the church here, I've become more and more aware of it, kind of relying on it, learning to rely on it, uh, resting on it, in it. Because, you know, I don't know how to lead churches. You know, I've not, I'm no expert on this. And I don't think you can read many books on it that really help you you've got to know what God's doing. And so I've been learning more and more about this. And the question I'm asking a lot of the time is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing now? Where are you working? Where are you moving? Because that's where I want to be. And you've probably heard me say that before. And this kind of awareness of the anointing has been quite tangible at times. And uh, God often does make things tangible when he's trying to teach us something new or draw our attention to something that he's doing or he's wanting to do from us, it just suddenly catches us everywhere. You know, when God is trying to teach you something new, you can't escape from it. And so God's been drawing my attention to the anointing, feeling the weight of it, consciously waiting for it, looking for it, listening for it, and even catching the smell of it. (laughs) I shared with some of you recently that there have been a few occasions where, uh, you know, I've just been praying with somebody or I've been by myself or I've been in a meeting and I've just caught this amazing fragrance. I was praying with a guy for healing and uh, we were just standing together talking before I was about to pray and suddenly this fragrance burst into the air. It just literally came out of nowhere. We're standing in his kitchen and it just suddenly appeared and I sort of thought, Oh, and I'm one of those prophetic guys. Sometimes I see stuff, others don't, and all that kind of thing. So I just looked at him and said, did you, do you smell that? He said, yeah, what is it? <laughs> and it's just like God's been drawing my attention to this. I was talking to David Carr about it. I saw him yesterday. He sends his love. And I saw him yesterday afternoon, and he says that he's experienced this kind of thing Many times, especially during worship, he says, it's the anointing. It smells wonderful. And he says, sometimes God will just open a window in heaven and show us something 
or even let us get a whiff of what's going on. He says, I think that's what he's doing with you. He's just trying to draw your attention to what's going on. So I kind of think God's drawing my attention to this, so I'm going to talk about it. And I want to encourage you to live in the expectation of it. I don't mean that we're going to get perfume every time I pray for you or anything like that. That's not what I'm on about here today. But what I want us to do is to grasp something of what the anointing is about so that we can all more consciously live in it. Live in it. So I'm going to take you through a a kind of tour of the Bible fairly quickly and some verses that speak about the anointing. And I I want to lay a foundation uh, for this subject. I'm going to talk a bit about it, and then we're going to see where we go. But I'm expecting God to turn up, as he already has done today, just expecting God to come. And at the end, there's going to be a ministry time, I think, and we want to pray for some people. Is that all right with you? I said, is that all right with you? Okay, praise God. Let's just pray that God would just come on us right now. Let's just stand for a moment, shall we? Why don't you just put your hand on the person next to you, and I'm just going to pray. And you can pray for one another as well. I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit would just come and fill us even now. I don't know what, that was great what Steve was saying about a difficult week. <laughs> Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us for a moment or two. So Holy Spirit, will you just come on everybody here right now in Jesus' name? Would you fill us up with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill up our understanding? Lord, as we talk about this holy subject, this awesome subject of God, the anointing. Lord, open our understanding, open our ears, our eyes, open our senses to your presence right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do take your seat. (coughs) So I'm going to talk first of all, well, what is the anointing? And I'm going to start in the Old Testament and bring you up to uh, the New Testament and present day. But this idea of the anointing comes from the Old Testament And it starts with the institution of something called anointing oil. And this is described in Exodus chapter 30. If you'd like to turn there, Exodus chapter 30. And do you know what? As we read this, I wonder if this is what I might have been smelling. Okay, let's just read about this, this anointing oil. Verse 22 of Exodus chapter 30. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels, of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hin of olive oil. Make these, combine them, and make them into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. And apparently this stuff just smelt so amazing that Moses had to say, and don't you dare use it for yourselves. You know, I don't want you sort of putting it behind your ear and kind of walking out, ladies, you know, with your anointing oil, uh, because it smelt so amazing. He said, don't you dare use it for that. 
I mean, can you imagine the combination of those smells? I don't know what all of those things are. Uh, we like Turkish food, and we, we had this amazing combination of cinnamons and all that kind of thing in a meal we had recently, even on Life Trip on Thursday night. But can you imagine the smell and, and the thick oil, shiny and full of spices and perfume, how it must have hung in the air as they prepared it, how it must have clung to them as they anointed people with it. And there were three kinds of people that were anointed in the Old Testament. In Exodus 30, as we're reading, Moses tells them, first of all, to anoint the priests. Verse 30, it says, Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. And they would anoint them, literally how they would anoint them is to pour over this fragrant oil. They all smear it over them. It would cover them. It would cover the priest from head to toe. This wonderful thick fragrance. It wasn't just a spot on the head. You know, when we pray for the sick sometimes, it's just a little spot on the head. That'll do, you know. Don't want to mess up your hair. Don't want to mess up your clothes or anything. No, it was just poured all over. Once Jonathan Bell uh, came around and prayed for me, and he took this literally. He poured a whole bottle of olive oil. And it wasn't even the nice fragrant stuff. It was just plain old olive oil. He said, I'm just being biblical. I said, yeah, right. (laughs) But that's what they would do. They pour it over from head to toe and it would just drip all the way down their bodies, all the way over their clothes. They would be dripping with oil, their hair, their, their beard, dripping. And you know, he would have had no doubt, I've been anointed. He would have no doubt about it. The evidence would be that he would know the anointing was on him. He would know that he had been consecrated. He would know that he had been set apart for this amazing task of serving God's people. And the whole community would have known that he was anointed too. They would have all seen it. Or if they hadn't seen it, they would have smelt it. It would have clung to him as he walked around the camp afterwards. Just this aroma would follow him. And they would have seen the glow of the holy oil upon him. But it wasn't only the priests that were anointed in this way. Later on, Samuel would anoint Saul, the first king of Israel in 1 Samuel 10. And then a few years later, David was anointed as Saul's successor at the command of God. Elijah <clears throat> appointed prophets like this, again, as commanded by God, 1 Kings 19. Three different kinds of leaders appointed by God and anointed by man at God's command. And this anointing, it was taken very seriously. It was treated with real awe. You know, uh, you remember the story of Samuel coming to town with the anointing oil. He's come to find David. It says that the town, the village elders trembled at his coming. He's brought the anointing. 
And it's just like the fear of God went through them. And even David, if you remember, you know that great and fearless warrior, he slew giants with stones and did all kinds of things like grab, you know, lions by the scruff of the neck and and all these things. Even him, he was so in awe of the anointing that even when his enemy Saul had been apparently delivered into his hands, he refused to lay a finger on him. He said, I dare not touch the Lord's anointed. And then he trembled and he fell down in the fear of God when in a moment of rashness he trimmed a tassel off of Saul's robe whilst he was sleeping. And I just wonder, you know, do we have such a high view of the anointing? Do we have that awe? Do we have that sense of the fear of God? Would we recognize it like that? We're anointed. Is there any holy awe about the anointing in the church today? Three kinds of people anointed, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Those that speak for God, those that rule, and those that mediate between God and man, the prophet, the priest, and the king. But of course, all of this was a foreshadowing of the prophet, the priest, and the king who would later appear in one person, Jesus, the anointed one. And Isaiah spoke about a new anointing that was to come, which this had all foreshadowed, but there was a new anointing coming. He prophesied about it, and it would come, he says, with one ultimate purpose. He says, this anointing will come to set men and women free. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it says this. Isaiah 10, 27. It says that in that day, their burden, that is the burden of the oppressor, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders. Their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you've grown so fat. Now, this is not about obesity. Uh, it's not about a weight loss system that was needed in the future, I don't think. No, the, the fat was, it was because of the anointing. It's the fatness of the anointing. The, the, the anointing was a kind of a fat that ran down them. And this anointing oil, this anointing would, would be so rich, so fat, the anointing would cause yokes of bondage to burst. It was a, a yoke that was was wrong. God didn't want his people in bondage like that. And at this time, Israel was in captivity. Israel was in a literal bondage to the Assyrians. You know, their slavery was very real and very physical. It was very tangible for them. And so Isaiah uses, by the Spirit of God, uses this as an opportunity to talk about an anointing that would come that would really set people free. It would really set them free. He says, the yoke will be broken. And this literally means the yoke that was binding them would be literally rendered useless. It would be irreparably damaged. So that when the anointed one came, he brings such freedom that nobody would ever be able to enslave God's people again. 
Such was the freedom that this this Savior would bring to mankind. Nobody will be able to enslave the people of God again. (laughs) You see, Israel thought that the Assyrians were the problem. They thought if we could just get rid of our enemies, we'd be free. Then they thought, no, it's the Babylonians that's the problem, who were then taken over by the Assyrians. (laughs) They're the problem, our enemies. Then they thought it was the Romans that was the problem. They're the bondage, they're the ones that the Messiah's coming to set us free from. They didn't realize that the bondage was in themselves. That they just could not stop sinning. They couldn't please God. They couldn't keep his commandments. The very reason that they were in bondage. This sin was the true yoke of bondage and the brokenness of their own hearts became their prison. And so Jesus had to come. Jesus, the one that Isaiah was speaking about. Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And as you know, Jesus begins his ministry quoting from Isaiah's prophecy. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus sat down before the people and read these words. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Understandably, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. <laughs> and he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow! They've been waiting for this. They've been longing for this. They've been reading about this. They were yet again in bondage. And now this man comes and says, Today, today salvation has come. Look, I'm here. It's my job. And I'm anointed by God to break the yoke, to bring freedom, to bring healing, to bring deliverance to the people. That's why the Spirit is upon me. That's why I'm here. Today this is fulfilled. I mean, what must it have been like to have been there? They've been waiting two, th- two several hundred years of total silence. God hadn't been speaking to them. Nobody had spoken to them from God. And now, the Messiah's arrived. Did they even understand what he was saying? We know from the story of the disciples, they didn't get it. They said, when are you going to take your kingdom? When are you going to beat those enemies? Those Romans, even they didn't get it. And when he died on the cross, they didn't get it. When he rose again, they began to understand it. (laughs) He's the one who breaks the yoke and sets men free. Jesus Christ... Christ is not a surname. (laughs) I used to think that growing up. Yeah, there was Mr. Christ. There was his mum, Mrs. Christ. That was obviously Mary Christ, Joseph Christ. They were all Christ. It's the family name. 
<laughs> it's not a surname. Jesus Christ. He, is, he was Jesus the carpenter's son, if you had a surname. So he was Jesus Carpenter's son. That was his surname. It wasn't a surname, it was a title. It was a title and it was a function. Christ means anointed one. You see, he's the anointed one. He's the king of all kings, the ruler over everything. He's the prophet of God, the living word of God made manifest. He's the priest who intercedes for us. Even now in heaven, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. (laughs) Isn't he wonderful? They just love Jesus. I just love him. Because you see, this anointing, uh, this this smearing, it, do you know, it wasn't just a one-off. Those priests, they were anointed, set apart, and that was it. That's all they got. This Jesus, he is the Christ. He is not just anointed once, he's anointed once for all. He's always been anointed. He was and is and always will be the Christ, the anointed one. And his anointing sets men free. But of course, you see, when Jesus spoke these words, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He wasn't just talking about himself. He was talking about us too. You know that, don't you? He was saying it on behalf of us too. He was saying it. He said, I'm saying this because we are in Christ. So when he said these things, he said them for us and for all of those who later would come to believe in his name. We are in Christ. We are in his anointing. That's how we are under the anointing. It's that we are in Christ. Every Christian is in Christ. And it's an interesting exercise to go through the New Testament and every time it talks about Christ, read anointing instead. (laughs) Read anointing instead because that's what it means, the anointing. Every Christian is in the anointing. He is in the anointed one. We're covered in Christ. We're covered in the anointing so that we look like him, we sound like him, And we even smell like Jesus. You know, the devil smells us coming and he doesn't like it because he can smell Jesus. (laughs) Did you know that? (coughs) Oh dear. I mean, this is perhaps what Paul is hinting at when he writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 15. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. You smell like Jesus. Did you know that? Sometimes you think, I just smell bad. You know, I just smell, I'm sinful. I've done bad stuff. No, you don't. You smell great. You smell like Jesus. I know you do. Let me t- let me show you uh, a picture which I feel like God gave me. Uh, I've never seen this before, but I-, I was thinking about this idea of being covered. 
and the anointing covering us. And I'm suddenly reminded of Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 27. I'm not going to turn to it, but I hope you remember the story. If not, read it up later, Genesis chapter 27. But this is the picture. It's like the way that Jacob stole his brother Esau's blessing. It's like the way that Jacob stole Esau's anointing. You see, Esau had all the rights and the privileges of the firstborn son who would inherit his father's blessing. But Jacob put the clothing of Esau on. He covered himself. He anointed himself with Esau. And so when Jacob came to his father for the blessing, he smelt of the fields where Esau worked. He put hair on his arms, the hair of Esau, wild animals. He adopted his physical attributes, wearing these skins. He put on the voice of Esau and even somehow managed to sound like him. And as his father was blind, he didn't need to look like him, so he didn't have to worry about that. But through this, through putting on the anointing of Esau, Jacob stole the blessing. And I found myself wondering, why did God allow that? Why did he sanction such dishonesty? Why did he back up what happened? Why Why did he sanction deception? Is, so does that mean theft is okay in certain circumstances? Or perhaps, uh, you know, God is a secret Darwinian? You know, it's survival of the fittest. Well, he was the clever one and he got it. Of course not. It's none of these things. It came down simply that Esau despised his birthright. He despised the anointing. He despised it. He was more interested in stew. He was more interested in filling his belly than he was in the anointing that his father would give him. He never pursued the blessing that was rightfully his, and so it went to his brother Jacob. Jacob who put on some smelly clothes to gain his father's blessing. He was the one who was willing to humble himself, to overcome the fear of discovery and rejection, to, to, to get a curse. He risked that to pursue what he valued above everything else. He says, I value my father's blessing, and he doesn't give it to me. That's why God allowed it. And you know, Jesus has paid the ultimate price so that all of us can enjoy and receive the Father's blessing. We don't need to steal it. We don't need to pretend because Jesus has already paid for it. But we do need to humble ourselves and we need to pursue all that he has for us. Covered in Christ. In Christ, pursue all the Father's blessing that is in Christ and the anointing of the Christ. So what is the purpose of the anointing for us today? I'm going to deal with this fairly quickly because this is another talk in itself. But, you know, the anointing is available to every believer who asks. I just want to make that clear. The anointing is available to every believer who asks. In a nutshell, then, the anointing is God's supernatural grace to do 
to know and to be all that God wants us to be. So let me take you through some New Testament verses now about the anointing. Firstly, the anointing is to do. It's to do stuff. You see, Jesus didn't just talk about the anointing. He read this passage, sat down, amazed everybody, said it's fulfilled, and then he didn't do anything. (laughs) He demonstrated with power, and he broke yokes of bondage. He healed people, and he set the prisoners free. So Luke sums up Jesus' life and ministry like this. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's what the anointing had come to do, and that's what Jesus did. Let me just sum it up for you. He just went around doing good. That's Jesus under the anointing. And Jesus told us that we would do the same things and greater things, whatever that means. But he told us that we would do the same things and greater things. The anointing enables us to release on earth the supernatural dispensations of heaven. So Jesus says, go, go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach about the kingdom, talk about it, and signs will follow those that believe. That kingdom will break in, it can't help it, when you declare the kingdom of God. And you know, some of us need to know this anointing today, to do, to do the work of God. Some of us need to know that. You know, too often we can fall into the trap of doing without the anointing. You know, we use our own resources and our strength. We just get used to doing stuff. And we don't rely on it anymore. We don't need to. You know, when I first started trying to help people, just sort of pastor people, you know, I had somebody come to see me. I'd pray for hours before they came. Oh, Lord, I might say something really awful or terrible. I really need wisdom. Oh, God, please help me. And then all the way through when they're talking to me, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say. And, you know, now I can, you know, I use, oh, I use this one today. Or I use this one. And you can get very kind of, I can do this. Now, when I first started preaching, I'd be desperate. Oh, Lord, if you don't turn up, I'm going to die or something. And now I kind of think, well, God, if you don't turn up, I'm really sorry. It's, it's, I've not done a good job and I'll just get on with it. I trust you. Don't need it so much. Now, there is a good side to that. We can come to that place where we just assume God's with us. We know what we're gifted in and we do it obediently. But many of us need to know this anointing again. To do in the power of the Holy Spirit, to do. Secondly, then, the anointing is to know. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 John 2.20 and 1 John 2.27. Verse 20 is this. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's pretty clear, guys. Christian, you have an anointing from God. <laughs> you have an anointing and all of you know the truth. So the anointing is for all of you and it's your possession. You have it. And it's your right and it's your privilege. You don't have to fight for the anointing. You don't have to work to keep it. It's a gift. We can grow in it. I'm going to talk about that next time, how to grow in the anointing. But in essence, it's a gift that we can keep. 
And the anointing, according to John, enables us to know the truth. And firstly, that means to know God. Because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. To know the truth is to know Jesus. It means to be in relationship with him. Who again, Jesus said, he can only be known in spirit and in truth. It's about knowing God. And it's also about what is true and what is lies. Supernaturally, we can know this. Now, under the anointing, we can know things that are too difficult for us to understand. We can take them by faith. But we know it's true. I mean, how many things are like that about God? I can't get my head around how much he loves me, but I believe it, and I take it. The anointing confirms it. We can know these things. Or maybe there are things that are too mysterious or high for our human minds to to grasp. Under the anointing, we can know them. Or we can know things that we cannot know through our natural senses. So things like words of knowledge, prophecy, discernment, the future. I just know that I know. I know it's happening. I know that it's done. Or the gift of discernment. All of these things we can know through the anointing. John goes on. He says in verse 27, that you, the anointing, as for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it, taught, as it has taught you, remain in him. The anointing stays in us and keeps us in him. The anointing keeps us in Christ, remaining in him. And John, in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, says that remaining in him makes us fruitful. (laughs) We are fruitful because of the anointing, and unfruitfulness in your Christian life is a product of not living under the anointing. Because the anointing makes us fruitful. You know, some of us, some of us need to know an anointing like that, don't we? Who wants to know God more? Who wants to know him more intimately to be in relationship with him? Who needs to know more? I need to know him. I need to know him. I need to know him. And not in some kind of head knowledge way. We supernaturally need to know him. And do you know, some of you have got the calling of teachers. It's not head knowledge. We need to know him. We need to declare his word out of that relationship that comes through the anointing. The anointing is about a deep relationship and a fruitful life. And then thirdly, the anointing is to be. To be. You see, the anointing confirms our identity in Christ and guarantees our future salvation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 to 22, he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It's just the most amazing verse Because what it means is that the anointing enables us to stand firm in Christ. 
You know, the Holy Spirit keeps us in relationship with God. It keeps us following him. You know, it's why I can't go away from God. You know, we go through that time where you think, I wonder if I'm going to go away from God. I wonder if I'm going to get tempted and I'm just going to go off. And you find that you can't. It's like this magnet in me. I can't leave him. It's the anointing. He won't let you leave him. He says, I'm not going to let anyone snatch you out of the Father's hand. You can't even snatch yourself. The anointing draws us, draws us into him. And the anointing, as Paul says there, is is like a seal of ownership confirming who we are now. And this seal that's stamped on our lives can be read by men and it can be read by angels and even by satanic powers. They know we're coming, you know. You know, that's why you can can go anywhere in the world and you can recognize another Christian. Have you noticed that? It's the seal of ownership. I know you're a Christian. Why do I know that? I just know. It's the anointing. Do you know that you're a Christian? The seal of ownership is on you. And it testifies to the genuineness of who we are. Paul says it cries out in us. A spirit of adoption crying, Abba, Father. It confirms our sonship. Now you may need some of this anointing. You know, if you've been wavering in your faith or doubting your place in God or even your future salvation, you know, do you need a smearing of grace today? It's in the anointing. So the anointing is to do, it is to know, and it is to be all that God supernaturally enables us to be by the Holy Spirit. So that's the anointing. That's what it is. Quickly given, and there's a lot there. But let me ask you, and this is the main point of the talk today. Do you know it? Do you know the anointing? Do you have it? Or do you need it? Are you aware of your need of it? Are you aware of the function of the anointing in your life? Are you living under it? Would you like to? <laughs> Is it just as I've been told, oh, I want that. Oh, I need that. Come on. Is it in there? I want more of that. Yes. Yes. You, you've got it. The nail on their head. Why can't you preach like this more often? I really got it today. <laughs> it's the anointing. Do you want it? Now, how many of us are still trying to live the Christian life in our own strength? You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Starting out in the Spirit, you're now trying to do it in the flesh. Paul's words still ring true today, don't they? We're still trying to do it in our flesh. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to seek the anointing for your life to unashamedly pursue the blessing of the Father in your life and in your circumstances, and not just for yourself, but for others too. Because, you see, we want to be ministers of blessing through the anointing too, don't we? We want to minister blessing to one another. How many people want to lay hands on the sick 
and see them healed. How many people want to lay their hands on the sick and demons run? How many people want the anointing of God? Yeah, Lord. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. He's upon you. Are you aware of it? Do you know his power? Whoa, he's coming, isn't he? I'm going to get through this, Lord. Just give me a minute. Whoa. But I want to give you the take-home. All right, here's the take-home. Becky Webb says it's good to have a take-home in your talk, so I'm just working on that. (laughs) Firstly, I want you to cultivate an awareness of the anointing. Cultivate it. Make it part of who you are. Make it part of your character. Make it part of your culture, your relationship with God. Cultivate an awareness of the anointing. It's about pursuing God. It's about pursuing his presence as a lifestyle, but it's also about a time of conscious learning in your day-to-day life. And now sometimes we just don't do this. We don't realize we actually have to learn. We have to train ourselves in these things. Some of us do. We need training for this. I heard Bill Johnson speak about how he trained his family how to be aware of the anointing. He said that often they would pull up outside a restaurant or something like that. They'd be going into somewhere. And he says, and I would just stop. I said, right, everybody. Okay. Everybody all right. Everybody, everybody, uh, full of the spirit now. Everybody sensing God's presence right now. Okay. Is he with us? Is he here? Okay. We'll wait a minute. Right, come on then, let's go. He's with us now. And he says, the feeling when you enter that room is completely different. You know, some of you need to do that before you go into the office tomorrow. Before you go into work, just stop. Don't rush. Stop rushing everywhere. Jesus never rushed anywhere. But he achieved so much more than I ever will. Three years, he turned the world upside down. It's helpful just to pause and wait for a moment. Is he with me? Of course he's always with me. You know, of course he is. We're always in Christ. It's more that we tend to move out of it and go in our own strength. So cultivate an awareness of the anointing. And guys, I just want to say it's not about just about church. It's not just about ministry. It's not just about spiritual things. You can take this to work tomorrow. You can take this, you know, businessmen, the gift of wisdom, it's an anointing. You know, so often in work, I would just say, Lord, I don't know what to do, and suddenly it would come to me. And I was known for it as somebody who could break the logjam. And I didn't tell them, perhaps I should have done it. Oh, well, now I prayed and God showed me what to do. (laughs) Cultivate the awareness. Our lives are anointed. Wait pause, and then act. Secondly, move out in it. Deliberately move out in the anointing. You know, this time of training, it's good. We need to do that. But then we've got to move out in it, trusting that having asked him for wisdom, that we've got it. You know, it says in the Bible, if anybody lacks wisdom, they can ask of God, and he gives to all liberally without reproach. And yet I find so many people who've prayed that prayer and they're still waiting for the wisdom. You've asked for it, and he says he's given it, so just move out in it now. 
you'll find that you've got the wisdom. (laughs) We just don't know that we have. Move out in it. If you ask for wisdom, you can assume that you've got it. If we've asked for the Holy Spirit, you know it says the Father will never refuse us. He will never refuse us when we ask the Holy Spirit. So ask him before you go into a difficult meeting, a difficult situation, a difficult family situation. Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Now go in. (laughs) He'll be with you. Move out in it. That we've trusted him for his presence. He is with us. He says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and you're in Christ. And he's never going to leave. And you're never going to leave. Pause, but then act. And then as time goes on, you know, I've said this already, but we'll find that we move into a new level of anointing where we can assume or we can know that we are anointed. Something of that is practice. I've been preaching for a bit now, and I've learned, yeah, I wondered, you know, but I I think I am actually anointed now. I can assume that God's with me. Move out in it. Practice. But then you can assume that he's with you. So next time I want to talk about growing in the anointing. I don't know when we're going to do that. Maybe next week. We'll see. But that's what I want to talk about next time. But I I want to just give us the opportunity now. Okay, Holy Spirit, you can come right now. Just come on us.